Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Science Faction. The only show where a scientist, a comedian, and a comedian scientist come together to discuss science. Comedically. Hello, and welcome to Science Faction 644. Science Faction, a new great fear and how you have to walk to sit. A new great fear, like like, is there a new uh, like for us? You know, like a uh, uh, brain damage seems to be a common theme yeah. in our fear. Is there like a new microbe, like an insect that devours your brain from the inside? Because that's a new fear. Now, and I just just imagined it. I can't wait to introduce you to my new fear. You know, I'm I got a lot of good fears, prions, gamma ray bursts, shit like that. But this this has snuck its way just just subtly into the top five in the last little bit. Wow, um, I, I'm pre-shitting myself already, Bobby. I don't mean to, and that's not just because I have IBS. Yes, well, but uh, it kind of is. <laughs> and speaking of the IBS of this show, I am your host, comedian archaeologist Robert Timothy. And speaking of an idiot bragging sluttily, none other than our IBS host himself, Mr. Damien Mercado. Damien, how you doing this afternoon? I came up with an acronym for you, too, and I did it way faster, motherfucker. I was waiting for you at the finish line. I was going to say insanely bad scientist. There, bam. Oh. I'm attacking you professionally. Although... <laughs> I like idiot bragging sluttily a lot more, to be honest. I gotta say. Yeah. I mean, I'm... I do brag about my sluttiness a lot, and my idiocy, I think, is a documented on the podcast, so... No, you're not bragging about... Don't... See, this is why you're an idiot. You're not <laughs> bragging about your sluttiness. You're bragging in a way that is also slutty. Like, they're not... They're related, but they're not the same thing. I'm bragging in a way that's also slutty, like... Uh, yeah, that's right. I broke the high school sack record at, uh, my, at uh, in both single game and season uh, my senior year of high school. And the only thing that'll shut me up is if somebody sucks my dick right now. And then all my coaches tell me to get off their property. That was 20 years. Who the fuck are you? We don't even remember who you are. <laughs> no, no, because that's more overt. It's like, oh, man. Oh, it's so hard remembering in high school when I started on academic league in my junior year. Oh, it makes me want to take these clothes off and go to sleep. I'm such a deep sleeper. Don't touch me. That would be naughty. Okay, first off. Starting physics chair. I, I am very uh, sex positive, Bobby. So this whole line of insult is like, first off, yeah, I'm slutty. I'm proud to be slutty. I'm slutty. You're right. My bragging would come off as slutty, but then so does my eating. So does my sleeping, surprisingly. I'm not putting a moral judgment on sluttiness. I actually appreciate quite a good bit of sluttiness. Uh, I'm just saying sluttiness is sluttiness. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm I'm pro-slut myself. I listen, I've I've talked to me and my wife have talked about such sexual histories, and I'm proud to own that I am and continue to be if it was not for my marriage to her, I would be continuing my proud tradition of being a slut. It's who I am. We started out with me having a bigger number than her. I don't know how, but she has a bigger number than me. I haven't figured out quite how that has happened now, few years later, because she was supposed to stop sleep. Oh my god. <laughs> That's cool. Like, listen, honestly, I'm Listen, I want her to know that I'm the best show in town, and she's not going to know that unless she goes and experiences other shows. Yes, that's very, very true. And speaking of other shows, go ahead and check out our other show. You can look up Robert Timothy on Patreon to get our Patreon episode I call BS, which is another episode of Science Faction every single week. But for now, let's move right on 
to science articles. From molecules to particles, this is Science Articles. Article number one, a new top five on my list of fears. Okay, we teased this earlier. Uh, By the way, how many other science podcasts have hosts bragging about how slutty they are? Or what they're scared of. (laughs) Hey, you want to know how to terrify or turn me on? Tune in. I'm scared of no longer being fuckable, if we're being quite honest. Like, that's that's a big one for me. I'm scared of not being horny. Like, what, what, what more could I worry about? Yeah, one Vietnam grenade to the genitals away from just ending it for me. No, I've talked before about my fears of uh, prions and gamma ray bursts. I will say, I, I did always, one of the most vindicating days of my life was when one of the smartest human beings I've ever met in my life, Dr. Troy, also confirmed that he had fears about both of those two things. And that's like when you look over to cheat on the smart kid's paper and they have the answer you already thought of. You're like, all right, I think part of me feels good because like, yeah, I got the right answer. Part of me feels bad because I guess this is really something I should worry about. I beat Dr. Troy the first two times. In fact, it was my beating of him twice in a row that caused you to start rigging the game. So by the transitive properties, I'm the smartest person you know. Because until you hobbled me, I was batting a thousand against Dr. Troy. Uh, I don't recognize transitive properties because I live in Alabama and we have a bill (laughs) about your people using the bathrooms. (laughs) I heard that there was a bill introduced that would technically ban, like if you extrapolated it, ban like showing Mrs. Doubtfire to kids. Like like it would be... (laughs) (laughs) Well, to be fair, I think that would have saved you a lot of pain and suffering based on your dislike of my intro for this show. So No, I I acknowledge it. You'd be saying it so blandly and autistically if you didn't have a reference. (laughs) Fortunately, Robin Williams smiled some personality into your life at a young and impressionable age. I like how I'd be saying it autistically. Like, I, instead of Mrs. Doubtfire, I'd be saying it like Rain Man. Like, welcome to the show. Arguably, Robin Williams has hurt this show because that would be way funnier. Objectively, way funnier. So now I got to say, I've actually been thinking about this topic for some time now, for at least a year or two that I've been like, really, it's been really been on my mind more so in the past few months because I recently heard a horror story. And and the thing I'm going to talk to you about is awareness during surgery. And I have thought about this because I've heard a few stories of this happening before where you can feel everything happening to you, but you can't move because when they put you under, they use multiple agents and one paralyzes your body. Well, one makes you not feel pain and like, you know, one puts you to sleep or whatever. And if one of them goes off, you can be paralyzed, meaning you can't move, but you can feel everything. You could feel every cut of the knife. So you're sitting there feeling everything as they're doing the surgery, but you can't communicate to them. I have always kind of thought that was a terrifying thing. I recently heard a true story about somebody who... He basically went in and had a regular routine surgery, came back out, kept having like, he was having like crazy dreams and like super anxious, like crazy heart rate and stuff. I think he had, and he eventually ended up killing himself within like a week. And then when they found out what happened was the anesthesiologist had fucked up. They didn't give him the thing that made him go to sleep or not feel pain. They just gave him the thing that made him paralyzed so he couldn't move. He felt 20 minutes of internal surgery and like heard everything as the doctor was like, scalpel, cut him open, blah, 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 and felt every bit of that. 
And then during the surgery, the anesthesiologist realizes what happens. Everybody in the surgery realizes the guy's awake. They discuss their options and realize that they're going to get their asses sued. So what they do is they they shoot him full of a drug that also fucks up your memory. So he didn't remember being awake during the surgery. And so when he woke up, he had PTSD, but didn't know why. He kept imagining himself being in like a mine collapse and like being collapsed in, in a coal mine and just like eventually went like just couldn't handle it and, and offed himself. So I think about, I just recently heard that story a few months ago. And I think about this because what a horrible thing. I mean, can I can actually imagine it. I have had surgery without anesthesia while awake. And let me tell you, it is one of the most like eye openingly painful experiences of your life where you're like, Oh, I thought I know what really bad pain was from X, Y, and Z. And then you're like, Oh no, this is what really bad pain is. And it's not going away and it's not stopping and it's horrible and all that stuff. Like I can, I can be there. I've had that happen, but I could at least move. And they knew that was happening to me. So they took care and stuff. If you're just paralyzed and the surgeon doesn't even know that's going on, Man, I can't imagine being stuck there, not knowing when it's going to end, like just maybe for hours sitting through the worst torture anybody could imagine. Well, the worst torture anybody could imagine would be to uh, participate in I Call BS, to be the heel, uh, to, uh, subject to your rules. But I guess number two, like I would trade places in a second. Like if all of a sudden we just had a, a, a surgery scheduled for the exact same amount of time that I Call BS yeah. was, and then like I just was just paralyzed. That's it. And then they like go, all right, well, uh, time to time to do this uh, uh, testicle widening surgery. You would rather do that than I call BS. Yes. It's amazing how much you avoid trying. You would rather do all of that <laughs> than try. I'm tired of your Sisyphusian task. I thought I like the, the greatest trick you ever pulled was that there could be First an First of end. all, if there's one sissy here, it's you, asshole. You're the <laughs> one who's scared of a game. Please just operate on my testicles now. I would... Oh, dear. And and this is what's kind of interesting is, uh, you know, we've talked about this on the show before. Anesthesia is used in surgery. It's used a lot. We don't fully know exactly how a lot of anesthesia works. We just know that it does work. And sometimes it doesn't. So here's a quote from the article. Now, this is a very, very small end number. I want to put this out there. This needs to be, you know, magnified and looked at. But this is fMRI studies on people under propofol. And they found that one in four patients presumed to be unconscious during general anesthesia may in fact have subject experiences such as dreaming. So that's not feeling pain. But in very rare cases, individuals become accidentally aware during a medical procedure, meaning that they can feel pain. And that's between 0.05 and 0.02%. Here's the quote continues. The research showed that showed for the first time that participants who were resistant to anesthesia had fundamental differences in the function and structure of the frontoparietal regions of the brain to those who remain fully conscious. Crucially, these brain differences could be predicted prior to sedation, meaning they actually found differences in the brains of people who were more likely to wake up during this procedure than than others. And this is really, really interesting because now maybe we can scan people's brains. We can understand that if you have you know certain characteristics, we need to give you more. Uh, again, by the way, end number was only 17 on this. It's hard to do fMRI studies. It's hard to do them with anesthesia, all that stuff. They'll need to expand it and see how much how applicable this is to a larger population. But regardless, that's incredibly exciting. And the question is, what is that difference? What is 
is the difference between the brains of people who are, are more or less likely to wake up during anesthesia? And the quote from the article again, our results suggest that individuals with larger gray matter volumes in the frontal regions and stronger functional connectivity with frontoparietal brain networks may require higher doses of propofol to become non-responsive compared to individuals with weaker connectivity and smaller gray matter volume in these regions. So we're actually seeing structural brain differences. These aren't psychological differences or something like that. This is something we can look at on like an MRI and see. And so the idea is if we could identify these, can we then, you know, have a profile for these type of people that need more sedation? And then can we even expand that further and get to a point where based on reactive tests or some, some other type of thing that you don't need to look inside their head for, can you predict whether or not they're more likely to wake up during anesthesia? Do these people correlate at all to people who are resistant to hypnosis, Bobby? Uh, no, I don't believe that they do. Like, I mean, if, if, like, if you're at a magic show and you see somebody who just can't be convinced to kiss the dog or whatever the, the Mm -hmm. magician's trying to trick them into, well, that person, well, could we say with certainty? No, that's susceptibility. I, I have a feeling that the reason we're seeing this is you see some neuroplasticity where certain brain networks are connected in ways that they aren't connected in other people's or they have bigger connections and therefore the same amount of sedative isn't going to work to fully stop that network. It's like if some people have a two-lane highway as part of their brain connectivity, you can block it up really easily. You can put a semi-truck across it and all of a sudden there's no highway at all. But if somebody's got like one of those interchanges that you see in Southern California that has 16 and a half lanes in it, You can put a semi-truck across it. You're not even going to block half of the damn thing. And so, like, you know, there is more signals that are able to go through, even given the same amount of propofol per body weight. It's there's going to you're going to see less effectiveness. That's really important because we want to know who those people are, identify them ahead of time, give them extra propofol and also, by the way, watch them and monitor them really carefully for signs that they might be actually awake, but but paralyzed during the procedure. Isn't that uh, stuff kind of uh, noticeable on heart rate and everything? Like you, if you experience a lot of pain, your heart rate would spike, right? I mean, so they would notice that. No, I don't believe that they do. I think the stuff that you're given puts you at, like controls your 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 spasms, muscle stuff, including your heart rate, I believe. But I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure. I do know that there are like certain indications. But they're very hard to notice, at least according to the to the story I heard about the gentleman who was under. One of them is like the fluttering of eye eyes underneath your eyelids. Because remember, your eyes are actually like part of your brain. It's like the one part of your brain that is outside of your skull. Like it just like popped out. And because of that, your eyes have more direct control. That's why you have, you know, REM sleep in REM sleep and stuff. Your eyes are moving back and forth while the rest of your body is paralyzed. If the rest of your body could do that, you'd be running around in your sleep, right? But your eyes can because they're like part of your brain. So one of the things is you can see like eye movement underneath the lids and stuff like that. But man... That's just such a terrifying notion. Definitely. Definitely. Again, though, would trade places in a second if anybody has this problem, if anybody uh, is also resistant to hypnosis. Again, we discussed that's the only way to really tell uh, if these people, I suppose you could go through, put somebody through a brain scan, but we don't always have that. We do have access to a lot of hypnosis uh, magicians on Friday nights, and they can test people left and right. Well, that's true. And uh, also, I, I do I do believe that even if that doesn't work in and of itself, there are differences in brain networks based on the amount of uh, bright purple jackets. If you have <laughs> multiple 
bright purple jackets, preferably with a giant lapel. I don't know why, but for some reason, giant lapel helps you do magic and hypnosis. Yeah, if you said to just bright purple jackets alone, I mean, half the people who perform at the Apollo would would be <laughs> they would be uh, could they ineligible uh, for most surgeries? Yeah. All right. Article number two: Walk to sit. Is this is this like a like a Simon Sinek thing? Is it supposed to sound deep, but is like bullshit? Yes. Yeah. No. This is actually really interesting. So this is new research looking at the health effects of sitting, and it suggests you should take a walk for five minutes for every thirty minutes of sitting work. Meaning every thirty minutes you're doing sitting, you should get a, sitting work. You should get up and do it. Now this is really interesting because this is part of an ongoing amount of research that are focused into the health effects of sitting for long periods of time. Uh, we have found there's a bunch of issues. There's blood pressure issues. There's blood sugar issues. There's obviously cardiovascular issues. There's back issues. There's circulation issues. Uh, there's a bunch of, I personally have been affected. I went from being like a full-time field archaeologist. That's all I did to having jobs where I had to do a lot of archaeology paper processing and sitting at a desk for, for eight hours a day. And it fucked up my, my body and, and it messes up your life. Like for, for it absolutely does. And we get these things like, how do you mitigate it? How do you mitigate these blood sugar issues, blood pressure issues, cardiovascular issues? Of course, we're trying to find the smallest amount you could do to mitigate it. Because that's what we need to know is like the, you know, just to get over that hump. And there are studies that show, oh, yeah, for every blank number of uh, sitting, you should do a standing desk or you should go take a jog or something like that. Well, this study wanted to look at all the effects of uh, like the, the negative health effects of sitting at like kind of what the absolute minimum to alleviate those would be and not to make them better, but to alleviate the negative impact. So even like a minute or two walking for every hour you're sitting will improve. It's way better than nothing. If that's all you can do, absolutely do it. But what they were looking at is what is the minimum you could do to actually get rid of all the negative effects you see for sitting for that amount of time? And so they tried five different interventions in terms of like different walking interval schedules. One was they did five minutes of walking for every 60 minutes of sitting. One day they did one minute of walking for every 30 minutes of sitting, then one minute of walking for every 60 minutes of sitting, five minutes of walking for every 60 minutes of sitting, five minutes of walking for every 30 minutes of sitting, and no walking at all. And they found that basically only the highest intensity of those five minutes of walking after 30 minutes for every 30 minutes of sitting would actually alleviate the negative effects, get your blood pressure right, get everything right. Here's a quote from the article. This was the only amount that significantly lowered both blood sugar and blood pressure. In addition, this walking regimen had a dramatic effect on how the participants responded to large meals, reducing blood sugar spikes by 58% compared with sitting all day. Taking a walking break every 30 minutes for one minute also provided modest benefits for blood sugar levels throughout the day, while walking every 60 minutes, either one minute or five minutes, provided no benefit. So if you do have an option, it's actually better to walk one minute every 30 minutes than it is five minutes every hour. So even though you're walking less, doing it more frequently is actually more important. All of the amounts of walking significantly reduced blood pressure, and it was a sizable enough decrease to be notable. They also measured things like mood and cognitive performance. Cognitive performance doesn't really change, but uh, there were improvements in uh, fatigue and mood when doing the, the more intense walking regimens. This is really interesting because they did so many different options and they saw basically no, they saw little effects 
little effects, little effects, but then we just barely saw total alleviation of the symptoms. They kind of did a really good job of hitting the exact minimum we know we have to do to maintain it. Cause we know if you're just doing one minute every 30 minutes or five minutes every 60 minutes, it's not really working. So we are really close to kind of that minimum level, which is really important for a few reasons. Number one, once we have established this scientifically, let's say we, we do a bunch of follow-up tests and we establish this, this type of stuff tends to work its way into law. It can work its way into mandatory OSHA breaks. It can work its way into just kind of good common office practice that your employer has to let you go, you know, just lap the block every 30 minutes, which is, by the way, it makes you more productive. It makes you more creative. Like that is a good way to do things, especially if you have like a or sit down and, and type job. But also a lot of us are working from home now. Like I work for home. My wife does too. And yeah, we're stuck at a desk for all day, but realistically we could get out and walk literally around the block once every half hour or something like you would have to schedule. You'd have to know it's important, but knowing how important it is, that's absolutely doable for a lot of us. We could do that tomorrow. This is one of those things you could hear on this show and institute into your life tomorrow and make your life substantially better in terms of health. Again, we're not talking about, I need you to join a gym. We're not talking about you need to join Atkins or something. Five minutes, every time you sit down for a half hour, get up for five minutes and take a walk. You'll do, you'll probably do better at your job anyway. Bobby, I'm surprised that we haven't, okay, patent. Patent the 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 treadmill desk. It's like a NordaTrack treadmill, uh, but it has- I think they have treadmills at like those standing desks. Like they have things where you could have a treadmill at one of them standing desks. Well, then the solution's right there. I mean, as long as you can, like, like as long as you're, you know, you can type uh, a lot yeah. uh, well while Now, while I'm going to go ahead and say that part of it too, especially the mood stuff, is probably getting out of the house. You know, as somebody who does have those, like, again, who's used to spend 15 years running around the mountains as their job all day long, and then all of a sudden have to be sitting in, at a desk in front of a computer screen, like, it affects your mood and getting out from underneath you know, that roof and in front of that computer screen, like even just for a few minutes, it really is like it, it improves your life. It just seems like, like that would be a lot to ask of somebody who was like, especially if they had like, they had a lot of work to do. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm crunched already. Uh, even though I'm working from home, um, yeah, yeah. You're, you're asking me to take a break every 30 minutes. <laughs> I pee yeah. in a cup as it is, man. Totally. And I get it. I'm, I have those crunch times too. But if I'm being perfectly honest with myself, when I am super, super busy, taking a break usually makes me increase my effectiveness. And if I know I'm taking a break every 30 minutes, I'm less likely to like slack on that break. I mean, I'm less likely to be like, all right, I'm just going to take a break for 10 minutes and it turns into 35. It's like, I'll take a five minute break because I know there's one coming 30 minutes from now. It's not that much. Second of all, if we can get that into law, you know, if we can get that into like workplace standards or something, think how much better the lives of your average office employees would be. Yeah, it's going to get a 10 minute break every hour or so, you know, indefinitely like that's yeah. that's awesome yeah i i, I that, as somebody who's who's pro worker uh yeah I, I i that would be great uh if there was just a way like as somebody but as somebody who's also had to work in industries where the enforcement of regulations kind of meant reality and keeping into schedule you know mm -hmm. like um I, I just understand that employers sometimes uh aren't as vigilant as they should be with a lot of these standards yeah, I, I mean, I respect the fact that you're pro-worker because my political stance on this issue is that I'm pro-berserker in that <laughs> I support the Viking berserker warriors that would oftentimes raid like Estonian settlements and stuff. I'm, I'm definitely pro-berserker in the office. 
Really, really, because uh, the, the the raids that they conduct on Encounting Bobby, they have a death toll. They have a body count, and oh, and you support that. You would support that yes. that type of negative, toxic workplace, Bobby. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not saying the berserkers are not without their downsides. <laughs> and yes, yes, we we do play a blood toll uh, whenever they come through. But also, and this is like this is the important part. You have to kind of you have to factor in uh, when you're doing it. We do need to expand our farmlands, and our Nordic <laughs> culture needs to go across the world. That's the only way. That we can, I mean, listen, since the fall of the Roman Empire, this this continent has just gone to shambles. Wow, wow, wow. Bobby's getting paychecks for big Scandinavia right now. Bobby's just, he's, <laughs> he's, putting, he's putting out the line, their propaganda line about, listen, these are just harmless expansions of our, of our farming community. Listen, we disavow the violence. We disavow it. But Berserker's going to berserk. Yeah, absolutely. And related to that, I'm not only pro-berserker and pro-worker, by the way, I'm also uh, related to being pro-berserker. I'm I'm pro-bjorker. And that's where you support Icelandic music's 90s superstar Bjork, who is Scandinavian, like who does have that an- Viking ancestry. So it's it's a related political statement. See, you're you're making like a play towards the Scandinavian market place but you're forgetting that scandinavians do not find our brand of humor funny at all <laughs> these men are, are simply they are attracting from the facts uh, so i'm german thank god this i'm not russian it might change your mind if you heard that a lot of my office policies are also pro twerker <laughs> now we're getting them back <laughs> yes i enjoy the way that yeah, that woman shakes her rump He's definitely a pro twerker. I believe that Werner Herzog might do a documentary about that someday. Few things distract me from the ever looming threat of death, and one of them is the gyrating of heaps. <laughs> oh, thank you, audience, for gyrating your hips with us for Science Faction 644, where you learned all about how you might be awake during your next surgery. And how sometimes you gotta walk to sit. Thank you so much for joining us, and come on back next week for Science Faction 645. I have always tried to stay true to two things. Truth in filmmaking and OPP. Yeah, you know, Werner. You've been listening to Science Faction. Wait, that's not right. Right.